This is a Saddleback Church podcast. You know, Christmas is interesting because there are a lot of different types of people in terms of Christmas. And I had an experience earlier this year. So in October, Stacy and I, my wife, we went to the Philippines to visit our campus there in Manila. And while we were there, we went to a mall. So we got the, up to this mall, and as we're walking through the mall, early October, the music that starts playing behind us is Christmas music. And I'm like, no, there's no way there's Christmas music in October. So we keep walking, and sure enough, I see Christmas lights and Christmas trees, and I lean over to Mike, our campus pastor, and I'm like, is this, you know, what is this, like a Christmas mall or something? And Mike's, no, that's the way we do it in the Philippines. So apparently in the Philippines, it starts in October. I know we got a lot of Filipinos at Saddleback, by the way. And it starts early. Maybe for you, it starts early. How many of you are like that? Christmas starts early. Maybe not October, but November-ish. I know there are some of you, too. You like to keep your Christmas lights up all year long, which we have a few of you in our neighborhood, so that's awesome. But some people, they celebrate Christmas. They look forward to it. Maybe you look forward to the presents. Maybe you look forward to tradition. But I look forward to the food at Christmas. And I have some meals that I only get to eat at Christmas time. One of them is gingerbread men cookies. Oh, I love them. Stacy makes them every year. I always eat too many, so this year I've decided I'm only gonna eat 12 of them this year. Uh, partly because Jesus had 12 disciples, so I feel good about that number. And thankfully, Jesus did not eat his disciples, but you get the point. So I also look forward to French toast casserole. Now, if I were to say French toast casserole, you'd be like, oh, what's so big about French toast casserole? until I describe it. Okay, so let me tell you how this works. So you take to toast, you, er, you take bread, you thinly slice it, you put it in a pan and it soaks overnight. You've got like this vanilla, syrupy, cinnamon kind of cream that it marinates in overnight. And then the next day you pull it out and you put on the top of it a bake that has walnuts, pecans, cinnamon, uh, brown sugar, butter, it's all melted together and you spread it across the top, you put it in the oven, it makes your whole house smell amazing and then it comes out. It is like heaven on a plate, it is so good. Now I actually shared this yesterday, somebody took it, took the recipe and made it for one of our volunteer teams before church. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could give every one of you some French toast casserole? I want you to see what it looks like right here. Oh. It looks so good. I can see your mouth watering. So wouldn't it be awesome, though, if on the patio after service we had some for you? Wouldn't that be awesome? We don't. But, <laughs> but you can have it tomorrow because I'm going to send you the recipe if you take the annual Christmas survey. That's my gift to you. So you can leave service today. You can go get the ingredients and make it for tomorrow. Now, maybe Christmas is not a time for you that you look forward to. Maybe Christmas is a time that's hard for you. Maybe there's something at this time of year that you're reminded of. Maybe you find yourself still as a single parent. Or maybe some of you this year, you found out you got a bad medical diagnosis. Others of you, there are things in your life you thought would be by now, but still aren't. And Christmas reminds us of the times or the things in our life that we struggle with. It reminds us of the emptiness and the brokenness in our lives, and ultimately in our world. Solomon said one time in the book of Proverbs, he said, hope deferred makes a heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And what he's saying with this is that when something you desire happens, there's joy that comes. 
But when hope keeps getting pushed back, there's a soul sickness that we carry. And Christmas often magnifies this. Christmas is a magnifier of both the gifts and the grief of life. So if life's good, it's really good during the holidays. If life's bad, it's really bad during the holidays. In this soul ache that we all carry inside of us, where things in our life, some are the way they should be and some things that are not the way that we deeply desire them to be, brings up one of the great struggles of human existence. It's the question that we all carry with ourselves, and it's magnified during this time of year. And it's how do I live with hope in the midst of life's disappointments? How do we find hope in the difficulty? How do we find hope in the struggle? And really Christmas is all about the message of hope. Hope is ultimately a matter of what we look to, what we fix our eyes on. And some of us, we find ourselves constantly disappointed because we're looking to the wrong thing for our hope. And this has happened to humanity for years on end, for decades, for generations. This has been the struggle that we live in. How do we find hope? And I wanna talk about this today because your eyes are fixed on something and perhaps that thing that your eyes are fixed on is not leading to joy and peace in your life. Now, this struggle was common in Jesus' time. In the first century, when Jesus would show up to Israel, in the midst of this season, there was all kinds of turmoil for the Israelites. See, in their holy scriptures, which is our Old Testament, there were over 300 prophecies that a Messiah would come, and this promise from God that he would send a savior. Yet in the midst of their longing, what they were hoping for was some kind of a political hero that would liberate them and free them from the Romans. The Romans had their finger on Israel. They were oppressing them. There was injustice. There was political chaos. And very similar to now, there was a lot of confusion about life and there was this longing for a solution, longing for hope to be fulfilled. And it seemed like this hope keeps getting pushed back further and further and further. And there was one guy in the story of Christmas. There was one man when Jesus came who would have his eyes fixed on the coming of the Messiah, and his name was Simeon. And today I wanna look at the story of Simeon, the one who encounters Jesus just eight days after he's been born. Now in Luke chapter two, Luke gives us some details about Simeon, and many people believe that Simeon uh, excuse me, that Luke had had conversations with Mary, the earthly mother of Jesus, and she gave details about the birth account. Simeon starts being described by Luke, and he describes him this way. He says, at this time there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout, and he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Now, this is interesting because there's a lot of details that Luke leaves out. Like, he doesn't tell us, how old Simeon is. Many historians believe he was old, and I'll let you put the age in there of what old is. So let's just say it's older than 100, okay? Because we don't want anybody in their 80s at Saddleback feeling old, right? So he, tradition says he was old. Also, in addition to this, we don't know what his job was. We don't know, did he have kids? We don't know if he was married, but what we do know is that he lived a life of devotion to God. He was righteous, he was pursuing God, he was living for the promises and the purpose of God, that he wanted his life to be a part of God's kingdom and God's ways. And as he was waiting, 
for the Messiah to come. It says that as he was waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now this is unique in his day because in the Old Testament there weren't a lot of people that were described as having the Holy Spirit upon them. Now today in the 21st century and post the resurrection of Jesus, God has given his spirit to all of us who put our trust in him that the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. But back then the spirit of God would be on a few select people. Simeon was one of them. He had the spirit of God compelling, directing, leading and guiding his life. And it had been revealed to him by the Spirit of God that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. And the scripture says he had had this revelation. It had been revealed to him, verse 26, he wouldn't die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. And in verse 27, it says that day the Lord or the Spirit led him to the temple. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment because there have probably been many moments that Simeon has gone to the temple. Like he's... He's looking for the Messiah. There might have even been days where he went looking, came back home, and realized today's not the day that I'm going to see the Savior, that I'm going to see the Messiah. But on this particular occasion, he goes into the temple, and the story says, Luke writes this, as he goes into the temple, when he got there, Mary and Joseph came to present baby Jesus as the law required, and Simeon was already there. So he's there Mary and Joseph come with baby Jesus, who's eight days old, and as they come in, Simeon's waiting. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. Parents, my kids are 17, 15, and 10. I am, like, too small to hold my oldest, or I should say he's too big for me to hold him anymore. He's six foot three, 280 pounds, and he could hold me in his arms. But I do remember the day when he was small enough to fit inside of my arms, and You know, there are people who are just weird with kids, right? Like people that come up and want to talk to you about your kid and they're by themselves. It's weird. Simeon, in this occasion, walks up to Mary and Joseph. They're holding baby Jesus and he reaches out and takes baby Jesus out of their arms. Now, parents, is it weird when somebody you don't know takes your kid out of your arms? Yes or no? It's weird, right? So this is a little bit odd of a scene. Like here's this old guy walking up, taking your kid from you, and it seems kind of comical until you hear what Simeon says. And he begins to open his mouth to speak prophetically about this baby. And notice what he says about him. He says, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. For I have seen your salvation which you prepared for all people. Now, notice this is a moment that Simeon's been waiting for. He's saying, I could die now, I have peace. And he prophetically speaks about the baby that he's holding. And as he takes him in his arms, he says, he's the one, he's the savior who will bring salvation. He's he's the one that for ages and past, it's been prepared that he would come. Verse 32, he is a light to reveal God to the nations and he is the glory of God of your people, Israel. Simeon understands who he's holding. He understands that this is a savior that will bring hope to all the nations, so that people who are rich and poor, people who have different colors of skin, that they could have hope in God, that they could have relationship with God, and God would bless Israel through this baby. So he's speaking these words, and he's holding Jesus in his arms, and there's a fulfillment that he's experiencing a fulfillment of a longing and a dream that's been in his heart for years. 
Now, after he speaks these words, Mary and Joseph, in the next verse, it says, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul, Mary. Now, these words Simeon is speaking about what Jesus will do. He will separate groups of people. There will be some that believe, some that don't. Thoughts and hearts will be revealed, and there will be a pain that Mary experiences as she watches her son eventually be crucified. But for a moment, I want you to sit in this experience that Simeon must have had as he held baby Jesus. Look at this rendering with me, this artist rendering here. It's called Simeon's Moment. And I love the way that this artist so beautifully shows us what it must have been like as he held baby Jesus. He held in his arms the light of the world. He held in his arms the hope of the nations. And for years he had been waiting and praying and now all of these dreams of his have been fulfilled. There's such a joy and a fulfillment in this moment. And Simeon says back to God in this moment, I I just wanna go back to this verse because it's so powerful. He looks back to God and he says, Sovereign Lord, let your servant die in peace as you have promised. It's like, it's never going to get better than me holding this baby right here. And in that moment, Simeon experiences hope fulfilled. And the reason he experiences his hope being fulfilled is because where he puts his eyes, because what he focuses on. See, hope is a matter of where we fix our eyes, what we look to for our hope to be fulfilled. And we look all over the place for our hope to be fulfilled. Like, you, you know this. Like, you, you have moments in your life where, where you look to something or someone that you think will satisfy you and they don't. You, you think they'll make you happy or that thing will satisfy your soul, but it doesn't. And what happens is often we look out at conditions and circumstances for fulfillment. And when we look out to our conditions and circumstances to have our soul fulfilled, we put the weight of our expectation, the weight of our desire on them, and they were never, or that thing was never designed to carry the weight of our expectation. And our soul in the process, as we're looking outward, for fulfillment, as we're looking outward for hope, our soul ends up dissatisfied. So it leads us to this kind of dissatisfaction where we're constantly chasing the next new thing to make ourselves filled with joy and contentment. Now, you've done it, I've done it. In fact, I remember being in college, I got my first car, it was a 1994 Plymouth Sundance. Red, by the way. How many of you have had a Plymouth Sundance, just out of curiosity? So you're judging me now. You're like, that's not a cool car. I thought it was a cool car, by the way, because it was my car, and it was my first car. So I would drive around town. I felt freedom, freshman year of college. And one day, I'm driving home to my dorm room with this red Plymouth Sundance, and I go to park it outside my dorm room. There's a lower lot where you can park your car, and then there's an upper lot. So I drive up and the lower lot is kind of full, so I take the hill, I go up, 
the hill to the top at the upper parking lot. I park my car. I leave it there. I go into my dorm room to study like good college students do. And as I'm there studying, this friend of mine comes and he knocks on the door and he says, bro, your car is outside in a tree. I'm like, no, 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 no. There's no way my car is in a tree. He's like, no, yeah, bro, your car is in a tree outside. Come and check it out. So the thought that immediately went through my mind is the thought that's going through your mind. Who in the world would put my car in a tree? So I walk out there. And as I walk out there, what I've noticed is that my car has come down that hill. It's taken a right turn, and now it's wrapped around a tree. So my passenger side door is all dented in, so I walk over to the passenger side door. I try to pull it open. I can't get inside of it, so I walk around to the other side, to the driver's side. I open up the driver's side door, and I look in the middle where the shaft is, where you put the car in park, and I notice somebody has gotten out of my car and left it in neutral at the top of a hill. I have no idea still to this day who would drive my car and not park it. Now, this mystery that has filled my soul for years came with a tremendous amount of grief. It was this car that was supposed to satisfy me and for the next three years of college, I drove around with this huge dent in the side door of my car. And now, you might not, not ever do something as stupid as I did to leave your car at top of a hill in neutral, but maybe you've had something in your life that you look to to satisfy you, something you thought would make you happy, but eventually the shininess wore off. Eventually the happiness and the relationship was no longer there, and you were left dissatisfied. We, we do this as humans. The other thing that we do is we look inward to ourselves. So we think, well, maybe, maybe I can fix me. Like maybe I can deal with the problems on the inside. So we got a kind of soul sickness, like life is not what we want it to be, so maybe I can somehow contemplate enough, meditate, empty my mind, read a book, pay money, do something to fix me. And it's interesting, have you ever been to a bookstore and you notice there's like a section at a bookstore, it's called self-help? Have you ever thought of the irony of that statement, self-help? Like if I knew how to fix my problem, I would have fixed it by now. So self-help is not gonna get me out of what my self-helplessness got me into. And sometimes when we live on that train, what happens is our soul gets increasingly discouraged. So the more I try to fix me, the more broken I realize I am. And there's this internal critic inside of all of us, and that little voice you hear, it says, it's not enough. You're not doing enough, you're not enough, and that voice, the more we focus on fixing ourselves, I've discovered for me, the louder that voice gets. So the solution for me is not to look inward because it leads to discouragement. My soul, my heart, my mind is discouraged with my brokenness the more I look to myself to have my hope fulfilled. Now, there's a third solution that we see, and Simeon understood this. And where his eyes were fixed, he looks up to God, and he holds in his hands the hope of the world. And as he looks at this little baby, he understands this baby is fulfilling 300 promises and prophecies of God from the Old Testament. 
And his soul is filled with such delight that he sings this song of celebration of this baby that is in his arms. He's looking up to God. And when we look up to God, this is so important, it leads to lasting fulfillment in our lives. Now, I know for a lot of us, maybe you've looked up to God before. Maybe you've prayed that God would solve a problem for you. And the truth is, just because you look to God for contentment doesn't mean that immediately the problems in your life are solved. Doesn't mean that, that your kids immediately obey you or the cancer goes away or your struggle is eliminated. But what it does mean is when you look to God, you can experience his presence. You can experience the hope that he brings in any situation or circumstance in your life. Simeon understood this. His hope was fulfilled. Now, there were promises that Simeon was looking to that would have undoubtedly helped him understand who he was holding. And again, there are like 300 of them. I just wanna look at three of those promises. And the first one that Simeon would have understood was the promise of the Messiah or the Savior's coming. So he was looking forward in anticipation to the moment where the Messiah would walk on planet Earth. Notice, again, if you come back to this passage of Scripture, that Simeon would say these words. It says he was righteous and devout, excuse me. He was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. So he was waiting for the Messiah to come and walk on planet Earth. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, there's a prophecy 700 years before Jesus came, and he surely would have understood this prophecy and have read it and heard it. It says this, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And when he comes, his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. This passionate commitment of the Lord's Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. So Simeon would have understood he was holding the wonderful counselor. He would have understood this prophecy is being fulfilled in this little baby. And his whole life he would have been waiting and looking for the coming of the Messiah. Now we don't live with the promise of the first coming of the Messiah. He's already come. And as he came, he fulfilled all these promises. But what we do live with is the promise of his return. And next time he comes, he's not coming in a manger. He's coming. He's coming with a blast. It's, it's going to be, everybody's going to see it, the Bible says, and notice it. Every eye will see and know that it's him. But now in this moment, there's a not yet and there is a part of life that is. You can know God now, but there's a future return. And Jesus would speak of his return. In John chapter 14, he tells his early followers, he didn't want them to mistake that he was going to heaven and he was just gonna be gone. He wanted them to understand that for all of humanity, God was weaving together this plan so that all of us could have a relationship with him. John chapter 14, Jesus says, right before he's crucified, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me, for there is more than enough room in my Father's house. Jesus is saying, my, my heavenly Father is, is throwing a massive party and wants all to come and be a part of his family, wants all to come and have a relationship with him. 
My father's house has many rooms. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And the answer is no. But when everything is ready, I will come, Jesus speaking, and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I'm going. And that way was through him. So there's a promise that if your trust is in Jesus, you can have confidence that you will spend eternity with God. Jesus would make a statement, he who believes in me will live and never die. Now what does that mean? He's not saying that you won't die physically, he's saying that from the moment a person places their trust in him, there is this kind of life that begins and goes for all eternity. Another way of saying it is once life with God begins, it never ends. And there's a promise of his coming, whether it's your physical death or his second return, that you can live with hope in the now. That this life, this brokenness, this pain, this struggle is not all that there is. There is a promise of his return. Now, the second promise is connected to it. It's the promise of his nearness. So again, Simeon would have been holding these promises from God in his heart and in his mind. And this promise of God's nearness would have come out of a prophecy in Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. Again, this is written 700 years before Jesus came. All right then, the Lord himself will give you this sign. Look, the virgin, speaking of Mary, will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now this is the mystery and the wonder of Christmas. God became one of us. God walked in human flesh. He literally wrote himself into the story so that we could do life with him. Simeon understood the significance of this moment to do life with God. He would say, my eyes have seen your salvation. It, it literally, that word means have known. I've known, I've encountered your salvation in holding this baby. And there's a promise from God that today, now, in this moment, you can do life with God. Now, we all know there are people in our life that when you're with them, life is worse. Like you all, everybody has an uncle that's drunk at Christmas and tries to kiss your wife on the lips, right? <laughs> True story. We all got one. And there are people that make life harder. There are people that you don't want to be around. But then, oh, there are people that when you're with them, it changes everything. My wife is like that. My wife, I always want, there's, there's no environment I don't want Stacy with me. She makes everything better. And everybody that knows the two of us, say, they say to me, everybody likes her better. And I say, I know, I know, I get it. I like her more than me too, so I get it. But when she's near, when I'm with her, it changes everything. And there was a moment a few weeks ago, as she was out of town, I had the kids, 17, 15, and 10 again. And this season's a lot easier when they were a, a lot younger to kind of have them all three alone. But in this moment when Stacy was gone, I still want her to return. And I'm counting down the minutes, the hours, until she comes back. And in preparation for her return, you know, the house had gotten a little messy, so we got the house back together, and we're getting everything in order for her. I go by and get her favorite food, which is acai. I take it with me to the airport to pick her up. I'm ready. I'm so excited about having my wife back, and that anticipation 
of her nearness and then her coming is that same kind of soul fulfillment that we can encounter and experience, that we're looking forward to Jesus' return, but we can also, in the moment now, do life with God. I mean, this promise from God is unbelievable, that the spirit of the living God will take up residence inside of those of us who trust in him. So he reveals the heart of God to us. He gives power to us that we don't have on our own. He gives comfort to us in the darkest moments of our life. He strengthens us through life's difficulties and you can do life with God in this moment. This promise changes everything. See, the Israelites in the Old Testament, they had a tabernacle with this presence of God. Jesus was God in human form. But now, in the New Testament, the Bible says that God gives a spirit without limit. So you can be in the worst moment of your life, but God is still with you. And there's a kind of loneliness that some of you are carrying today. And this great promise, this, this great opportunity is that God can be with you in it. That's the second promise. Now, there's a third promise, and I want to finish on this, and this is the promise of his salvation. Simeon understood he was holding a savior. There's a lot of words that come to mind when you think of salvation. Maybe salvation for you is a religious term. Maybe you've thought about this before and you've heard about the whole concept of forgiveness of sin, but the salvation that God would bring is so much more. It is salvation from sin. It is salvation to eternity with God, but it's a salvation from ourselves. It's a salvation from our brokenness and our inability to change ourselves. It's a salvation that gives us power and strength and wisdom, and God is in the business of bringing his salvation to our hearts. Simeon says, I've seen with my eyes your salvation, and Jesus was the conduit. He is the conduit of that salvation for all the world. Today, you and I can live into that salvation. We can receive it by faith in the one who came, who lived, who died, who was crucified, who resurrected from the dead. This little baby that grew up and lived a perfect sinless life offers the opportunity of salvation for us today. And Jesus would teach about this. See, when he would come, he would perform miracles and teach massive groups of people, but there was one moment where he was speaking to a guy by the name of Nicodemus, and he wants Nicodemus to understand this concept of salvation. And it's John 3.16, you might know that verse because people have football games painted on their chest, but it's more than that. It is a promise from God that is essential to understand to begin relationship with him. Jesus says this is how God loved the world. Now I want you for just a moment to hear that phrase again, and I want you to put your name in there. This is how God loved you. This is how much he cares about you. Oh, how deeply you are loved by God. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every doubt. He knows all the confusion. He sees you. This is how God loved you. He gave his one and only son. He would nail his son, let him be nailed to a cross out of love for you. This is how God demonstrates his love for us. It's in this, that while we're still sinners, Jesus died for us, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting, eternal life. 
And then Jesus says this to, to Nicodemus, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Now, I don't know if that's been your experience with Christians. Perhaps you experienced somebody that was incredibly judgmental. But when I look at what Jesus said, he did not come to judge, he came to save. And the way that he saves is by him taking the judgment of our sin and nailing it to a cross. And all the way in the Old Testament, this was prophesied about, that there would be a savior that would come that would wipe the slate clean for all who would return to the heart of God. Isaiah chapter one, verse 18. Again, 700 years before Jesus came. Says this, come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. See, sin is like a stain on our heart. So we carry shame and grief around the brokenness of our lives. But the message of Jesus is that God makes a way and wipes the slate clean so that you live and experience a life that is white as snow. So his blood that was poured out on a cross was poured out for your forgiveness. You can receive that forgiveness today. You can have the slate wiped clean in this moment. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us from our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means that you might have walked in here carrying the weight of your sin, but a confession to God, a receiving of his salvation, you can walk out of here spiritually free. You can walk out of here with hope today because the forgiveness that God offers to you. And you're here, maybe, again, somebody dragged you here, maybe your spouse told you if you didn't come, they won't give you Christmas presents. Maybe, maybe somebody promised you a meal afterwards and you think it's by accident that you're here, but I want for just a couple moments before I wrap up, I want you to lock eyes with me because some of you are a little bit checked out and now is the most important moment of the entire message. I want you to hear this. God came to give you life. God came to die on a cross for your sins so that you can be forgiven. He is alive today. That little baby Jesus grew up after living a perfect sinless life, after being crucified, he resurrected from the dead and he is now crowned with glory and he is now being worshiped as the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords and that king of the universe, that creator knows your name and he wants you to know him. He wants everything that you've heard and everything that you know about him to go from here in your brain just a few inches down into your heart because something shifts when you believe in your heart, when you believe that he died and rose again and you yield the keys of your life to him. Now, I understand control issues. I've got my list. But in controlling my life, it doesn't work for me. So a long time ago, I put my life in the hands of Jesus and I have seen him he is a good savior. He is a great guide. He is a wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God who wants to lead your life. All of his paths are the best paths for your life. Today, you can leave 
this service with confidence that you have a relationship with God. And today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to receive this gift. Now, I want, I want before we wrap up, I want to invite you to receive this gift of salvation from God. If you will, will you close your eyes and bow your heads with me? And as I pray for you right now, there's an opportunity for you to pray, some of you to God for the very first time, to begin a relationship with him. And as you sense in your heart that stirring, that desire, you can pray and say, God, I need you in this moment to begin that relationship with him. If that's you, I wanna invite you to pray a prayer that might go something like this. Just say, Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross for my sins. Just tell him from your heart. I believe that you rose again from the dead. I wanna surrender my life to you. Please forgive me for my past. And as you're surrendering your life to him, he's stepping in, he's changing you on the inside, and new life between you and God is beginning. Some of you just prayed that prayer to begin a relationship with God. Some of you just surrendered your life to God for the first time. I wanna know. Our campus pastors wanna know. So what I'd like to invite you to do with nobody looking around, in just a moment, I'm gonna invite you to raise your hand as, as a way of saying, I just prayed that prayer to make a decision to follow Jesus. This is important. I, I wanna know, we wanna know that you made that decision. So on a count of three, nobody's coming to your house, by the way. Nobody's gonna do anything weird. We just wanna know so that we can pray for you. On a count of three, just lift your hands up. It's a way of saying, I prayed that prayer to begin a relationship with God. One, two, don't be shy. Three, lift your hands up if you prayed that prayer today. Lift them up high. There are multiple people in the room today that are making this decision. So God, we thank you for each person whose hand is lifted as a way of saying, today I put my trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this weekend message from Saddleback Church. If you like this, please consider leaving a rating or review for this podcast. The Saddleback Church Weekend Message Podcast is a part of the Saddleback family of podcasts. Visit saddleback.com slash podcasts or search for Saddleback Church in your favorite podcasting app to see more great podcasts from Saddleback. For more weekend message resources, visit saddleback.com slash message resources.